I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I branded Pivotal, since these interview-style segments tackle impactful CPG industry topics and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. At the end of 2022, when I kind of first pitched the idea to host these collaborative, holistic, categorical deep dive sessions with the wellness-focused data company Spins, Scott Dicker and I knew we wanted to start close to our passions with a sort of sports and active nutrition industry like State of the Union. Well, believe it or not, we are already on our fifth quarterly installment of the series, and we figured it was best to give you an updated version on that original content where we run through a collection of different trending sports and active nutrition themes. In our conversation, we cover everything from the changing of the guard and fragmentation within massive categories like energy, hydration, and protein, to why the Huberman effect is causing many to reorient their consumption behaviors towards health span optimization. Additionally, we explain how huge opportunities will come to unlocking the post-work but before-bed wellness occasion. Moreover, we explore how overlooked ingredients from the past are getting a reframed second life with today's active lifestyle consumers. But before we jump into those insightful categorical themes and many more that we talked about, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the supporter of this content, Cognizant. I know I sound like a broken record at this point, plus y'all see the branded beverage cooler over my shoulder in these YouTube videos, but whether it's in a traditional supplement format or included in a convenient energy drink, like you'll notice Scott and I drinking throughout the episode, the brain energy ingredient Cognizant is a part of my everyday life to stay at peak performance. To learn more, I'll leave the link to the Cognizant website in this content's description. But without further delay, here is the recent conversation I had with my good friend and market insights director at Spins, Scott Dicker. We've made another trip around the sun and we're back to where it all began together with a sort of a sports and active nutrition industry, state of the union piece of content. Um, I guess I want to set the tone before we jump into this because maybe some people didn't see last year's version, but Scott and I is going to be running through, I guess, a collection of themes from sports and active nutrition, um, things like categories and ingredients, and maybe we'll sprinkle in some brands, um, also some like general commerce or growth trends going on. Um, and then we'll probably also think a little bit forward leaning and, and try to maybe look into our crystal balls a bit. Uh, maybe they're working, maybe they're cloudy today. I don't know, but we'll try to see maybe what the rest of the year looks like. But Scott, welcome back. And uh, thank you as always for taking some time out of your schedule to uh, join me. Always a pleasure, Josh. Thanks for having me on. I always look forward to this. So before we get, I guess, too far into the targeted discussions, um, I wanted to get your sense of kind of the broad view, uh, macro sense of the category as a whole. Um, I'll just kind of throw a tidbit here that I think there's obviously a backdrop against maybe some economic tightness. Um, but in my view, I still think, you know, whatever we want to call this, if it's, you know, sports nutrition, active nutrition, even performance nutrition, sometimes you get that sprinkled in there, whatever it is, like I still see that growing. And maybe that's more in certain blurred mainstream kind of categories and maybe in some 
channels over other ones. But I think overall, as an aggregate, it seems like it's still going to be able to find growth next year, or I guess this year. Performance nutrition, once again, is a top growth driver for VMS. It grew in brick and mortar for at just about, I think, just over 30% year over year in brick and mortar. Also had a strong year on Amazon, and we could get into some of the subcategories. But this is this is a category that continues to be to have growth driven just by the expanded audience. There's still so much use cases and demographics that are entering the category. And I think you would agree with me, most people, once they enter a category like active nutrition, they, they very rarely leave. Um, and so the characteristics that play into uh, the category, they, they mold into other categories, people are comfortable with them. And so this is a category that was the fastest growing in the supplement space for each of the past three years, I believe. And I would hypothesize it will be right up there for a fourth year when we do this in another 12 months or so. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of the, I guess, casualization of just the categories. Like, I, I think, I know we've said this, you and I probably on a thousand pieces of content before, and, and maybe at this point it's it's drilled into people's heads. But I think most people that are consuming these products obviously are not engaging in regular sports activities. They're not professional athletes. They probably also don't have athletic events on a normal calendar basis. They are looking at their lives and saying, I want to live a more um, you know, holistically more wellness life. Um, I believe I have an active lifestyle, whatever that kind of means in a certain person's mind, it doesn't matter. Um, however they define it, they're utilizing these products in a much more broad way. And that's just opening up so many different opportunities within the category. It's also probably scaring a lot of the, you know, incumbents or stalwarts within certain categories because they were really typically, I guess, knowing who they're competing against or why they're competing against certain people. And now it seems like all of that is being thrown out of the window. And now it's like, you know, there's an onslaught, I guess, of competitors coming from all directions, uh, kind of taking you know, bits and pieces everywhere. It's that, you know, thousand cuts, um, you know, paper cuts that are kind of knocking people down. And it's just kind of insane. Um, you know, I know we spend a ton of time looking at this and thinking about this, uh, but even if you kind of pull that back and you just look over the last, I don't know, five or seven years, it's kind of insane how quickly things have changed. It's just the landscape as a whole is completely different. The mainstreaming of these brands from being kind of niche specialty e-com brands to just mainstream every major retailer carrying them is is one of the biggest trends you know in the entire store and and you see this taking place uh, I I I you know we mentioned this before it's like these categories they used to have a couple other big CPG competitors that they were you know playing with and there's this clear separation between kind of what's a you know, food and beverage product and what's a supplement. And those lines are completely gone. You see, you know, so many of the sectors, we talk about energy and hydration, because those are some of the most exciting uh, categories uh, over the past few years for innovation and, and disruption. So both innovation and disruption. And so many of those started out as either supplements and are moving into the uh, ready to drink market. Again, we've talked about energy and, and, and hydration drinks, but it's also the other way around where you can see people um, making like the stick pack version of their um, products. And so this is a whole new wave of, of competition where it's not just like, 
Gatorade competing with Powerade. Now, you know, it's like all these people who are making the hydration set uh, in the powdered version and liquid IV obviously like really took it to the next level. Um, but you can see a scenario, it might even be coming out where like liquid IV makes the ready to drink. I think you may have talked about this fairly recently, right? And like that could be a, a disruption um, right there. And there's, there's so much crossover and it's just the mainstreaming that continues to take active lifestyle to the next level. And I'll, I wanted to get your take on that, but also um, one of the key shifts is this idea that people are looking for this health span diet. Hmm. And so it's both foods, supplements, as well as other lifestyle things, you know, they're doing the saunas, the cold plunges, and um, this active lifestyle, you know, it's incorporating into the health span, which is wide demographics, you know, tenfold. Yeah, I think what you're touching on right there, I heard somebody maybe dub it like the Huberman effect or something where, you know, everybody's watching or listening to that podcast. And all of a sudden you have everybody looking at how do I, you know, increase my longevity? How do I make sure that my health span is optimized? And you're looking at all these kind of holistic, I guess, interconnectivity of health and wellness and how that can evolve with, you know, is that activity based? Is that wearables trying to get more data oriented information, how that can feed into personalization. There's like so many things going on, which I think for what we're talking about with like sports and active nutrition, like that, I guess, side of the lifespan to health spans conversation is important because I do think a lot of the consumers are looking across these categories um, in a much more um, interconnected kind of way. They're looking at so many different, you know, nutritional aspects and how do they kind of fill those gaps? How do they, you know, create convenience when it's appropriate? How do they value those types of things? And I think a lot of that um, is emerging over time within like sports and active lifestyles. Um, On the flip side, I mean, this isn't the discussion for this, but I do think like that other side of the, that trend, the duality of that trend is obviously just the older generation, you know, looking to stay as healthy as possible. Um, and that maybe, I guess, third part of their lives, um, that final part of their lives looks a lot different than maybe what the books and the movies tell us, <laughs> you know, there, it looks a little different, but it's, it's definitely interesting because I do think like that as a whole probably has a lot of like sub trends and things that are working off of it. Um, even like greens powders, um, you yep. know, things that people are trying to fill up gaps within their nutrition, um, and just needing and understanding they probably are not going to, you know, eat the whole food diet that maybe Andrew Huberman is telling you to do on a day in and day out. I think people love the idea of doing those things, but I think ultimately they still have their lifestyles that uh, supersede that. And they have things in their, in their kind of life that whatever works against them. And they're trying to find little hacks to get around that, which, you know, are things like those, um, you know, greens or, or even the, I guess the emerging or differing style of uh, meal replacement shakes where that has kind of moved into a more um, convenient positive proposition over a, you know, meal restricted proposition. And there's a number of other like vitamins and things like that, but it just seems like all of these things probably are offshoots of this, what you're mentioning around people focusing a lot more of their attention on how do they improve health span, um, you know, a longevity, whatever you kind of want to call that. And, and to your point, you know, I was reading something, one of the big trends that you see around this health span is like mitochondrial health. 
And mm -hmm. so you see like there's certain diets that are popping up for this. Obviously there's certain supplements. I know like CoQ10 was the big one. I think it's going to make a comeback as well. Um, but one of the things from like the diets is like, it recommends, I think it's like 12 servings of vegetables a day um, for like optimal or I, I read that somewhere and I'm just thinking, man, I, I think I eat a good amount of vegetables. I'm not getting 12 servings a day here. And so the idea that like these greens and, you know, to a lesser extent, always there, there's always the reds that like come, <laughs> come as like the line extension, never quite do as well. Um, I think people have a, have a more comfortable time eating their reds and their berries than their greens. Um, but some of these like, uh, you know, to round out the diet and it's going to play a role I, and we talked about this in, in detail at a previous episode, but with the rise of the Ozempics of the, and the Wagovis of the world, this all ties together as like health span plus you're not going to be eating as much. Um, so there's going to be an opportunity for a lot of these meal replacements, greens, powders. I still think like things like multivitamins are being overlooked for how much they're going to increase, um, especially these kind of multivitamins plus microbiome, yeah. plus immunity, things like that. Uh, but to that point, I think we might be ready, maybe not 24, but 25 for a shift back away from like the everything all in once back to the, the pieces. You know, we always go through those cycles where it's like, I want just one thing that has everything. Then it's like, maybe I'm better off with just the gut health product, just the focus product. Um, but in, in 24, I think we're going to keep seeing these kind of all in ones, especially in those greens. They have their probiotics. Um, but before we get off the topic, Josh, please do tell me what is one of the health span trends that you personally do? Who? It's funny because I just have been like slowly getting a little bit more into that. And I've been playing around with the idea of, of getting my own infrared sauna and, and a cold plunge and all these types of things. And I'm definitely, literally, I've never listened to a episode of Huberman in my life. Um, but I think with my uh, son, coming up, being born in, in a few months. I, I've been looking at my health and wellness and just fitness as a whole much differently. Um, just diet related stuff, just things that I used to maybe believe is true. I've kind of second guessed and, and thought differently. Most of them have been diet and nutrition related, um, but I have been trying to follow or I guess add some of these other kind of things in there, just even with basic movement patterns and stuff. I think I was always the, you know, pick heavy things up and put it down uh, kind of guy. Uh, and I definitely need to evolve a little bit into more, I guess, like general preparedness and, and things like that. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I, I think uh, all these things are great, but exercise and uh, proper nutrition are still, still the majors for it. Uh, but also speaking on some of those, uh, I do want to hit on some of these kind of subcategories as well. Uh, so I think the last time we spoke, most of the growth is still coming from brick and mortar. Uh, we are seeing Amazon having a lot more success this year. Brick and mortar is still, still doing quite well. Uh, let me throw out, throw out a few data points for the listeners there. Uh, performance nutrition as a category, I said up over 30%. We have protein um, about 17%, energy uh, and sports drinks up 12%. And those are all in store um, for the category level on Amazon. You have hydration supplements up 34%, pre-workouts up just under 10, uh, energy drinks up 20, 21%. Um, so we're seeing, you know, a big interest in this across channels. And, you know, this shows that people are remain very interested in this. 
Uh, creatine's doing very had a great year. It was the top growth uh, ingredient of the of the year. Uh, obviously, you know I'm very bullish on creatine's long term future. I know there is some legislation that could muddy the waters a bit that that's taking place in in places like New York. I believe I got that right. Um, but uh, I'm still very bullish on that. And then as far as the energy and hydration drinks go, I, st- I think that, you know, these, we talked about this off air, I think these are becoming lost leaders for retailers, um, where they're, they're taking advantage of maybe some heavily discounted uh, energy drinks, because they know people want them. And it's bringing people in the store, it's almost like the, the new milk and eggs, um, or they're bringing people into the store and specialty is also doing that um, to combat, you know, some of the, the shift towards online, um, to get people back into the store. And so I'm, I think that 2024 is going to be another strong year uh, while we see a return to growth for other supplement categories as well. Yeah, tons of things to unpack there. Um, I'm thinking about this in reverse order. I think something I was thinking about before we jumped on was, you know, we had 2020 through everything off. You had people kind of just doing all kinds of different routines and all kinds of, you know, taking whatever. And, and they, the last couple of years, I feel like, after they got a good sense of normalization again, they go back to, to typical behaviors and then they're going to go back to, you know, some of the more interesting spots that maybe got, I think in the last year or so, maybe, you know, got a little bit ahead of themselves and had to come back. So I, I always talk when, when I'm presenting data, I think a lot of times they'll look at things from, you know, that timestamp and they don't really think about maybe a longer view of that. And they go, oh, well, the category is down 8%. Well, it's because it got ahead of itself 20% the year before and it had a little bit of, you know, trace back and it needed to kind of get to that consolidation phase. Now it's going to go back into maybe a growth phase because, you know, it's gained some more consumer appeal or, or whatever it is. But I do think there's elements of that. I also think a lot of the category growth came, you just mentioned it, like with offline retailers, large retailers specifically. So a lot of the maybe, I'm going to just call them first time buyers, but really it's probably just more of those infancy kind of stage buyers. They ultimately got into the category at a very high price point. Um, and because of that, they're ex- they never really experienced the lower price points or just what the expectation was prior to the inflationary period. So now when you see some of these brands kind of pulling the lever on promotions and they're trying some of these different price oriented things, I think you're seeing a much better response from consumers because a lot of them that are buying them in those large retail channels, they never experienced that before. They're like, wow, this is great. And I do think over time, I think the average you know, price on things are going to come down across a lot of these categories and, and maybe that increases volume, just general volume as, as well. But I do think Right now we're in this like promotionary kind of thing where people can play the game a little bit and probably get a much stronger lift off of that promotion than they typically would. Yeah. And and quick shameless plug, Spins just released our 2024 trends predictions. Uh, One of the things that that we talk about that I, I truly believe in is that the past two years were the years of the price increase. This will be a year of promotion uh, where people are are looking to keep uh, consumers in the category brand loyal. And to your point, I, I think there's some have success uh, with their promo strategy. There's a lot of different ways that you can optimize your promo strategy, obviously, depending on your, your brand and your category, you know, whether you do a steeper discount for a shorter period of time, spread it out a little longer. Uh, and, and so 
So the, watch out for the promotions just across the category. Uh, you know, we mentioned, I think both of us were drinking the same energy drink right now. I, I mentioned um, that I got picked this up at Costco for, for you know, a, a bulk price too. So people are looking um, to, to buy in bulk, buy on promo, and it's, it's going to be a, a major trend of 2024 watching the, pro, the promotions. Honestly, they might even not bring the prices all the way back down before all this inflation with the promo, uh, but it'll still be you know, a welcome sight for consumers uh, to see some of the promotions taking place. Now, I know you probably put more pressure on this side of the conversation than I have. I, I keep kind of dancing around it, but I pr we probably have to talk a little bit more in depth around energy drinks and hydration as a whole. I was trying to be a little bit suspenseful because I feel like that's the category that people seem to keep asking me questions about. And that's mostly because I think the size of those categories are so big. Secondly, the growth rates of those categories have been pretty substantial. I think obviously on the sports drink side, I think it's been mostly price driven over volume driven outside of the the, the crazy outlier of Prime, uh, and I think a few other ones that have been doing pretty well. But I do think, and I mentioned briefly, this idea that especially some of these, you know, we're going to use energy drinks and sports drinks as kind of the, you know, catalyst, or I guess the, the, the one that makes sense here. But I think if you brought this back into maybe almost any beverage categories and, and even maybe teas or that's, you know, established kombuchas or whatever you want to consider it like, because of maybe what's been evolving in the vitamins, mineral supplement space or sports nutrition space, like there's been incubated brands or, or incubated platforms that all of a sudden have been able to be moved over into some of these categories. So now as an incumbent, if you are Coke or Pepsi or you're anybody at this point, like you're looking at this and you're saying, I have all these rapidly multiplying, like legitimate indirect attacks that are coming from lesser known competitors. And you're seeing a, a quick, I guess, bit of disruption that's happening. And I think where most where people most are probably fascinated at are these massive kind of categories like energy drinks that, you know, have came from nothing 25 years ago. Um, and then basically now is, you know, $21 billion in the US market. And they're seeing all of a sudden these names that weren't there even a few years ago that are now doing hundreds of millions of dollars in retail sales. And it's kind of insane, but it's really just, I think, not just in those two subcategories. I think if you just pulled this back and you look at beverage as a whole, maybe you can even look at this across some food categories and you go, this is just what is happening now. Like, I think there's an incubation in certain spots. Um, and then all of a sudden there's, maybe that's because they're building audiences. And then all of a sudden they're going into these larger kind of sets within retailers. And they're actually making waves. They're actually creating a ton of, um, you know, problems or disruptions for some of these incumbents. And I, I take it a step further than that as well. Like some of these incumbents, they're having to deal with this steady wave you're talking about and, but the wave's never ending. So even yeah. if they, they outlast, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these brands, uh, you know, they don't, they either fizzle out or didn't handle their business, you know, whatever it was. But there's always five more that are waiting to pop up that have built some sort of direct consumer or Amazon or specialty um, platform that the 
you know, major retailers in every channel are, are willing to, you know, give them a shot. And usually like, you know, people will trial some of these new brands. A lot of people go and they look for something new. And so it's once you, once you beat out a new brand, if you're an established CPG, there's always five more that are, are just waiting to take that same slice of the pie. So it's even harder to, to play defense in that regard. And then I'm not trying to say that none of them make it because we do know that a lot of these brands are finding a ton of success um, in, you know, energy. Uh, energy is really exciting. We've talked about this. I think there's still plenty of room for innovation and disruption there. Uh, hydration's a very interesting one to me because this is, I think this was a lagger from moving out of kind of sports into kind of mainstream. Um, but the kind of lifestyle hydration is, I think, you know, one of the main drivers, drivers there. And we've talked in the past about it being, you know, hangover remedies and things like that, but also just everyday hydration. Like I think, uh, you know, there's some options out there that are lower in sugar that people are just trying to drink, you know, throughout the day as something other than water to drink. Uh, and, and so that's a category that's very interesting as I think it's taking that next step similar to what um, energy, energy kind of did in reverse. It started out, out of the gym, then, you know, the, the sports nutrition brands moved it into the, into the ready to drink space. And now it's kind of people are, again, we talk about they have their C4 on their, on their desk or their Celsius, and it's no big deal. Um, so, but the competition and the innovation is just never ending there. And eventually that does lead to some major disruption for the top, top, uh, players in the category. Yeah, I think there's waves of, of this that's going on. I think the changing of the guard within sports drinks is probably a, a handful of years behind what energy drinks saw, but I do see the same path happening. And I think you can almost carbon copy that into a lot of these other spaces if it's, you know, gut health or whatever. When you're looking past the point of, you know, the typical, I guess, delivery forms of pills and capsules and powders into, you know, beverages and foods. Like you could see a very similar path to a lot of these and, and maybe they'll have different degrees of, of disruption, but I do think it's kind of interesting to see how one by one, they seem to be getting picked off and for a incumbent, you're kind of like, what, what do you do? Uh, because you yeah. could kind of see it coming, but yet you still, um, I think a lot of times the, uh, you know, internal innovation, uh, or some of that kind of brand creation within some of these large portfolios, like it's been tough because their business as a whole is not built to build new brands anymore. They're built to like take a brand that has substantial scale, but not fully and plug it into their system. And uh, make, it's hard just, to plug. Just tweak the efficiencies on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard sometimes for them. I mean, they have obviously all the resources in the world to create amazing, innovative things. And they have, you know, the ability to spend an R&D like nobody else. But when it comes to actually taking something from zero and moving it up and actually prioritizing it is tough a lot of times because they have this billion dollar or maybe dozens of billion dollar brands within their portfolio. And they go, you know, I think our time and effort is probably better put towards, towards that. So it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I think that that's going to be, you know, something where, you know, we'll probably for the life of us, we'll, we'll have these storylines that we'll be able to talk about because I think it's going to get picked apart one by one by one. Oh yeah. And you've seen it like, look at what's happening in soda now with some of like the, the pre and probiotic sodas, uh, you know, those, you know, prime example of, 
you know, merging, you know, we took soda, then people were inter interested in kombucha for a while. And then they realized, hey, I still kind of like the taste of root beer. And so there's born these like, you know, gut health sodas. Um, it's kind of a, a, you learn from the adjacent category, some of the attributes, take them into an established category. And those are the product principles that, you know, can cause major disruption there. Um, one of the other beverage categories, I think it, it does play a role in active nutrition. Um, that I am still waiting for a category leader to come in is kind of this relaxation beverage. Uh, this is something I think is really fits when we talk about these lifestyle products. Um, it really fits what active nutrition and kind of these like um, on brand for people products. Uh, and I think this is a category really ripe for a big liftoff. And you see that because there's a lot of brands entering the market. So that's, you know, the innovation side of things, but the sales are still relatively, you know, small category. We see the interest and growth in the supplement section. You know that younger generations and even older generations are drinking less alcohol. And so looking for that. And I think that's a key there because when we talk about, you know, some of the other categories, I am always a little concerned. It's like, how many functional beverages can you have in a day? Can you have your energy drink, your gut health drink, your immunity drink, and your mood support? Like, you know, that's $15 of uh, functional beverages a day. It's going to be kind of tough and just drinking it all. But this is something that people were already drinking. So like their nightcap, uh, you know, alcoholic drink, or something like that. And it's just kind of switching to it. And so I think there's a large opportunity. You see the ingredients, uh, you know, magnesium seems to be doing pretty well. Ashwagandha's had its moment. You know, I'm also for, you know, some of these more euphoric drinks. I know like THC beverages are hitting the market. I think that's an, a very uh, interesting category because it'll actually, you know, some of the like the mood support and stuff like that, you don't, you don't feel, you know, so much like you might be a little relaxed, but you don't get that kind of buzzed feeling um, that I think people are looking for. So I think those uh, THC beverages and some of the other euphorics, I know like Kava Kava is someone that people talk about from time to time. I think that could be a, a major category um, that's, rel that's pretty much a new category once you get like a big established leader that takes the helms. Yeah, it's like what's going to be that player after work, you know what I mean? That's going to take the place of the traditional consumption of either that's alcohol or even, you know, some of those like basic tea, uh, you know, things like that. Maybe you take that before you go to bed or something like that. But I do think the time between after work to the moment you go to bed is still open for, for what's going to look like. And, and maybe it's not one kind of thing because maybe there's, different approaches that people have. But I do think if we talk about what we mentioned before around, you know, even this like health span and the Huberman effect, or even like the holistic 24 hours a day type of a situation, you know, I think a lot of times it comes down to there is people trying to get 24 hours of energy and energy within each kind of portion of the day. Um, it's technically different, I guess, um, you know, if you think about energy as a, as a 24 hour phase. So like maybe, yes, you need caffeine and things at certain points, but then to reset your 
stage, you're looking at different things later on in the day. And that opens up the opportunity for people to look at that through a 24 hour lens and say, what do I need to set myself up for success throughout the rest of the day? That part of the day is really kind of still open at this point. So is it going to be something mood relaxation? Is it going to be something that is, you know, like you said, is it, is it THC? Is it, is it something like that? I think, you know, for a while CBD, um, for whatever reason, people thought that was going to be, you know, that answer. I always thought coming from a place that at the time I was living in Colorado when they legalized everything. And when I was taking things that were just CBD based and then things that had some combination of, of those different um, cannabinoids in there, like I felt like it was a much different experience, obviously, but I also think there was, a, those things needed to play off of each other. So when you're looking at just that pure, I guess, isolate CBD thing, I don't think it was ever going to be the answer to some of these things that people were looking for. Now it's a matter of, again, there's things that are going on legalization wise that need to be solved for that to be, you know, fully uh, federally appropriate, I guess. But, you know, I think there's still, you know, that part of the day is, is still super interesting. And, and I also still think it's super interesting from like the traditional powder sense. And maybe that's the problem is there hasn't even been a winner, a clear winner in that space yet that has been able to incubate itself big enough to then make sense in beverage or make sense in food. It's, you know, it's a lot easier unit economics wise to make it work when you're doing powders or capsules or something like that, then moving over to a food or a beverage right off the bat where it just doesn't make sense in those early, earlier stages, unless you raise a bunch of capital or whatever, but it's, it's still wild. I think that that's probably where the most open space is, but to your point, you know, it's probably having to compete against already behaviors like, you know, replacements over additional type of a situation, because Again, like how many of these, like you said, $20, $15 a day, like that's not realistic to most Americans, um, maybe some in the coastal elites and things, but like people don't have that amount of budget day to day to just spend on these functional beverages. So they're going to have to replace something. Is that alcohol? Is that something else? Um, so it's, it's kind of a little bit of a different com- competitor, but who knows? And I love that, you know, we go from lifespan to health span. Now we're talking about the day span. And so, so it's really like mapping out each um, part of the day. I don't even like the word wellness anymore, but kind of health span part of the day is still, is still really up for grabs. I like, I like your terminology there. Um, And that kind of goes to show how things are merging together. Like when we talk about energy, it's not going to be a caffeinated product. Um, Maybe it's a product that helps you sleep better so that you're, you wake up, uh, you know, refreshed and have more energy. And to your point, uh, and certainly we're not trying to minimize it, there's still a big role for the traditional supplement formats in this, uh, you know, whether it be the pills or, or powders or, you know, the gummies. I think gummies is kind of, uh, I'd say they're close to a ceiling and then small growth, but they're still, they're not going away anytime soon. And so that, that part of the day is definitely one that's, uh, you know, looking, looking like there's a lot of opportunity for it. Um, and I, I don't know how much time we have talked, but I think we should talk about some of the traditional um, categories, like what's going on in traditional pre-workouts, um, protein powders. We're seeing strong growth sales-wise for both of them. Uh, and, and this is still, uh, you know, a category to watch for as kind of the, the core of the market. Uh, you know, protein powders for everyone now. 
So that's, I think, goes um, to the mainstreaming available now. Um, I still think it's uh, the pre-workout powders are, are still one of the core kind of um, sports nutrition products, and, and we'll use that um, there. But there's a lot of growth. It's getting a lot of new distribution. Uh, seeing successful brands that are, you know, still removing some of the artificial look to it. Um, so it's not such a bro product. Um, what part of the growth I expect for the industry has to do with products that are more appealing to female consumers. Uh, and and um, when we talk about kind of those traditional sports nutrition products, um, but would love your thoughts on those. Yeah, I think, you know, again, I know we're throwing around this old archaic term of sports nutrition, but I think like as a one-two punch combo, it's protein and pre-workout. Like that's still the bread and butter of which people are yep. competing for. And I think protein, you mentioned it, like at this point, it's literally such a normalized behavior, I think. Um, you know, even just protein added items, you know, I think across the board, it doesn't need to just be protein bars or, you know, shakes or some of these like, you know, high protein um, snacks or something like that. Like the idea of adding protein within the day is just normalized. Like protein, for whatever reason, doesn't get villainized. It, it seems like you can never have enough, even though I don't know if anybody is under nutrient uh, based on, on protein as a whole. But you, you think it seems like there's a never ending batch of things that have high protein or added protein or whatever that is. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Like I do think there's been a, a ton of the more decadent flavors of protein for a while, you know, chocolates and maybe even some of the licensed flavors of, of things that moved in that certain direction. And then now I, I love some of the more like, I guess, clear based or fruity or refreshing flavors of protein. I, I still think there's probably a, a ton of growth there. Um, there's still what we believe of what that looks like, even in a more bottled sense or beverage sense, probably evolves over time away from the uh, isopure glass bottles of, of the past, but it's, it's interesting protein. I think it still has, you know, again, it's massive. It's the, the stalwart within sports nutrition, but it still has so much growth left. And then pre-workout, which I find the most interesting is that it's finally started to have, I guess, like levels or, or fragmentation of like, okay, here's an entry or economical one. Here's the daily driver. And then here's the more premium or luxury kind of packed one that has its market. Um, but most of, I guess, the people coming into the market are probably getting the like economical ones that are coming in through Walmarts or they're coming in through, you know, Costco's or, or grocery stores or whatever that is. But I think that's super interesting because when you look at people that are looking at sports supplements and, and they're maybe first time trying something outside of a protein powder, they're probably going to try a pre-workout. They probably don't have a lot of experience with like a huge jolt of like stimulants and stuff right off the bat. They're used to like diet Coke, or maybe they obviously drink a Starbucks or something, but I think you're not chugging, you know, your 400 milligrams of, of caffeine Starbucks or something like that as quick as possible. So it's a little bit of a different feel, obviously, because of its, um, the, the caffeine is, is different than a, a coffee bean and a lot of those things. But I think People are getting into this and they're getting a good ramp up into the category. And I think you mentioned it at the beginning. That's where when people get into the category, they start to evolve over time and they start to get more passionate about different categories. They start to learn about more. They start to do different things. And 
just to kind of cycle back to a point you made around, you know, there's multifunctional things, which it has really taken hold over these last couple of years. People are trying to pack as much stuff into these products as possible, because I think for a bunch of new consumers coming in the market, it's easy to understand, oh, this is a 12 and one. Okay. That sounds great. Let me just do it. And then over time, as you learn more and you evolve and you start to get more educated and you, you know, you, you dive into TikTok and all those types of things, and maybe you get good information, bad information, but you ultimately start to learn more and you get more passionate about certain subcategories. And then you want specific targeted products. Um, so that then breaks it back apart into, you know, different ingredients or different kind of one or two, um, you know, item products, but it's just the evolution of everything. It, it goes in cycles. You know, I always talk about how things don't come out of nowhere. They're always remixes of the past. I think that if people spent more time like learning the history of categories and, and, and a lot of things, consumer behavior as a whole, like you'll see how these go in typical like cycles and they always come back around eventually. It's just a matter of like some external factor or something happening um, that then brings it all forward. Yeah. You, you look at, you know, some of the, the top trending ingredients over the past few years, it's not like they've been new and novel. It's been, you know, uh, going back a few years, it was like collagen was a big one. So not that collagen came out of nowhere. It's just, it was kind of reimagined. Yeah. Uh, and ashwagandha, same thing, you know, you know, brand took it by the helms, reimagined it, repositioned it. Now creatine, uh, you know, is doing that. So a lot of times when you look at like, what's, what's going to be the, the, the next big ingredient, you know, look at ingredients that have been around for a while and where you can find new life in them. Uh, you know, I think magnesium again is gonna is going to be a big one as people look for for kind of that calming effect. Um, and there's been brands forever that have been doing that. You know, uh, and I believe it's they're still around. I'm sure actually. But remember that like calm uh, lemonade drink. Yeah. Uh, you know, they come in the white tube and that's the white uh, canister. And that's like one of the ones that that's just magnesium. I, I believe the original one is at least. And so so there's things like that. Uh, Theanine is another one I, I'm very interested into, not as a standalone ingredient, but it pairs so well with both energy products as well as calm, pro, calm calming down products. Not not the calm that I was just talking about. Um, but uh, so those are some of the ingredients that I think are, are very interesting to watch. They're not new, you know, or novel ingredients. Um, but those are some of the ones that I'm looking for to make big jumps in tw in 24. I was even thinking about when you were mentioning kind of the the ones that are kind of old and, and bringing back, like even like colostrum, yeah, you know that that ingredient as a whole, it's had life cycles within sports nutrition for decades, um, and then now it's being kind of presented in a more broad mainstream way with a, a couple of different brands that are are doing really well with it, and it's interesting because it's like guys, this was, this was big and then it wasn't big and it was big again. And now it's, you know, it, it had a period of like, people forgot about it. And then all of a sudden it's the next big thing again. And people are going to be jumping into, you know, a colostrum and a number of other, these kind of ingredients that seem to go through these cycles. Um, but each time, maybe it's, sometimes it's timing, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, the, the, the way in which it was presented to the world was not um, right. You know, it just like people didn't get the right like value proposition or the way they kind of pitched that was not correct. Like something within the the equation didn't work well, but it ended up, you know, kind of coming back now and, 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 and being it, bigger. It, a lot of times it's like just a the right brand has to be there at the right time to like take it to that next level. And then, you know, the next wave of brands can really make the category beyond just that one brand. 
uh, you know, I, and not that this is necessarily that, but I, I, I go, go back to HMB's one, I think is going to like the long-term outlook yeah. on HMB, I think is, is just so bright. I think it hits on all the major trends that we're talking about from active lifestyle, you know, most of the research is around healthy aging, maintaining that muscle mass as you get older. And, and so I'm, I'm still long-term, I've kind of given up on some of the short-term predictions for it, yeah. uh, but the long-term, uh, you know, very arrow pointed up on HMB. And, and so that's, that's one that I, every year I, I keep, keep looking out for. Yeah. And that one has like even a, a little bit of a, a tailwind with like the GLP one and everything, because yep. as people, you know, lose weight really quickly, they're, they're obviously going to lose some muscle mass as well. And, and some things like HMB and things, I think will have a bigger play over time as they get like brought into that fold and how that is interesting. Before I let you go, I want to talk about maybe a more commerce or a growth trend. And, and I briefly mentioned TikTok and I want to kind of bring this into a more like broad discussion around probably what I've been calling for, I would say almost a decade at this point. And I think I got it from like a, a venture capitalist firm or something that, that dubbed it uh, shop attainment, but really it's probably now morphed into, you know, social commerce or just this idea that you are able to go from, I guess, like, you know, influence to purchase much quicker because you're actually getting entertained as a part of the shopping experience. It's no longer just something you do for necessity or something you do out of obligation. Like you actually um, are enjoying this and it's kind of this whole, you know, morphed thing where, you know, that is, is that influencers, is that platform generated? Is that even some of the tools that the platform is coming out like TikTok shop as a whole, I think has already had a couple billion dollars, I think, in the U.S. very quickly in, in, in gross merchandise volume um, or value. I think that, you know, they were expecting something like a 10x uh, growth rate this year, which would put them somewhere around $20 billion, which is still super small comparable to like Amazon. But I think people have spoken. I like the ability to be just entertained. And then all of a sudden I have this quick link. I could just buy it real quick. And it's like seamless and frictionless. And then I just move on with my day. Yeah, and that that goes further to shattering that that illusion of like the omni-channel, right? Where where we talk about it's it's one channel, uh, like, and so it's it's any time commerce is really what it, it comes down to, and so brands just have to to be very aware that this is this is how people are shopping. You know, that's a very powerful way because people are feel connected to those you know, they, they feel like that's kind of part of their brand kind of. And so, so the idea of shopping, you know, through social is definitely something it'll, it'll do better for certain categories. I still don't know if people are going to be buying their, their loaf of bread from that. Uh, but when we talk about a lot of the categories that we focus on around active, uh, that is going to play a role. You know, it's always, I, f I feel like this category has always been ahead of the game when it comes to kind of these influencers, whether it was like the bro science back in the day, uh, then it was, you know, certain, certain types of celebrities, then influencers. And so, so this is kind of the next wave. And as with most things, active nutrition is at the forefront of it. You know, overall, this is, you know, really exciting kind of overall category to be in within CPG. It's like, it just seems like every year it becomes more, you know, respected, legitimate. People are looking at it as this like influential powerhouse within the space. And yeah, there's some bad actors like everybody else, but I do think like 
far and away, there's a lot of breakthrough talent that's now getting seen, which is awesome. So Scott, appreciate the time and everything. Glad you uh, got to jam with me on all this stuff because it's, I mean, like people, I don't know if you guys know, but we don't, we don't talk about what we're going to say before we go on here. We just kind of just rip and see where it goes. So I hope you guys enjoy this kind of like flow. Um, Maybe people are like, these guys' brains are all over the place, but um, maybe there's some nuggets here that you guys grab. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Like I said, I always look forward to it. Uh, I hope that everyone finds value about some of our sporadic thoughts, um, but hopefully we'll do this again. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 